You've got two choices. That phrase is, is used in, in stories or in speeches at times. And sometimes the person says, you've got two choices, and they lay out two options that, that really are both kind of difficult, and you're wondering, well, what, what are they going to do? But, but often, they're kind of laid out in such a way that one choice really seems like the pretty obvious choice. I mean, you've got two choices. You can go back to your miserable life at home, your boring existence, leaving no difference at all in this world, and pass on into obscurity, or you can leave your mark. You can make a difference. You can make your family proud, and you can save the world. So which will it be? You're thinking, well, I mean, things pretty obvious what I should choose there. In the passage we're going to look at this evening in the book of Proverbs, Solomon basically tells his son, you've got two choices. And one of them is really obvious. This is the one you should choose. If you would open up to Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Proverbs 4, beginning in verse 10. In Proverbs 4, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, uh, there's kind of tied in in pointing out the fact that, that wisdom is the way of life. That's uh, said a few different times in this chapter, and yet there are, are kind of three sections in which the, the father is instructing his son. Two weeks ago, we, we looked at the first uh, nine verses in which he was really laying on a message from his father passing on the the tradition from his father, David. In the section we're going to look at this evening in verses 10 to 19, there's a heavy emphasis on ways or paths. And I want you to just to kind of see that. So if you look at verse 11, I've directed you in the way of wisdom, led you in upright paths. Uh, Verse 12, walked your steps, your running. Verse 14, there's the path of the wicked, the way of evil men. Uh, verse 18, the path of the righteous. Verse 19, the way of the wicked. And so over and over again, there's this emphasis, there are, there are two paths or two ways. And in light of what Solomon says here, he doesn't really tell you what the, the way is. He's not at this point in time saying the way of wisdom is to act in this way. That's largely what he says in the rest of the book of Proverbs. At this point in time, he's simply describing the way of wisdom, and the way of wickedness. And if I could say it this way, what he's asking us to do is to consider these paths or to weigh these ways. And so if you think about it this way, tonight we're going to be weighing the ways of wisdom and wickedness. Thinking through these different paths. In the first four verses, verses 10 to 13, Solomon points out the goodness of the way Of wisdom. Verse 10 Hear my son and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Hear my son, a pretty common way that we we see these these, uh, lectures, these instructions given in the book of Proverbs. Yet there is a reminder here that it's not just enough to listen, but there needs to be an embrace of it. Accept my sayings. And what's the result? The years of your life will be many. That you'll have a long life. And I think within the context, what we'll see as well a, a good life, a prosperous life, a life of well-being and blessing and security. And in verses 11 to 13, he tells a little bit more about this way of wisdom. Now, verse 11, I've directed you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in upright paths. 
Here we see again the, the way of wisdom or upright paths. And the language that Solomon uses is interesting when he says, I've directed you or I have led you. It's not as though he, he's simply saying, I, I kind of pointed you in a certain direction or I, I led you to a point in which you discovered it. That's kind of how we think about teaching now, that the job of teachers is to, to allow the students to go on their own journey of discovery. But that's not how Solomon was viewing his son. He basically is saying, I took you by the hand and started walking you down this path. I directed you and said, go this way. He wasn't really giving him a choice per se. He was saying, this is the right path. Start walking down this path. And perhaps even using the language of path here is pointing to the fact that it's not uh, something that the sun is, is meant to blaze. It's not as though there's nothing there and he's saying, cut your way down this. It's saying, this is a path. It's already been walked before. There's a, there is a way that others have walked, and you're simply to go down that same path, and that path is described as being upright. It is morally good and righteous. And if you do that, verse 12, when you walk, your steps will not be impeded. Think using the the imagery he uses of, of walking down a path, you can think about this if you go hiking, and it's a, a trail that's been pretty cleared, and, and so there's not a lot of rocks or, or pits or, or, or ditches or things like that. And when you're walking down that path, you can begin to walk with confidence. You can keep walking because you're not always wondering, I'm going to trip over something, am I going to fall, what's going to be coming up ahead? There, there's a, there's a, a sense in which you're not impeded as you walk. And you know when you walk that way, it's actually a more enjoyable walk. As opposed to the kind of paths in which you're always trying to look down and, okay, is this going to hold my weight here or is this going to slip off and, and what's around the bend? And, and that, that can be a more, much more exhausting and fatiguing kind of walk. And Solomon says that the way of wisdom is a way in which you can, you can walk without worrying about hindrances, impediments on your way. And in fact, you can do more than walk. You can run and not stumble not get worn out, not worried about tripping over things. In some ways, it's, I think, similar to what God says in Isaiah 40. Even the young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary, and they will walk and not faint. That if you're going on the way of wisdom, you will find it is a path that is a good path. It's a path that you are able to go down. It's not going to be a path in which you can't make it. You can take this path. This is, this is not the, the elite path that only a few can make. This is a path that you can go down. And so verse 13, take hold of instruction and do not let go. Take hold of perhaps might be better translated keep hold of, especially in light of the next part of that phrase. Don't let it go. And here there is a reminder, and we've seen this a few different times in the book of Proverbs. That, that wisdom is not simply a choice you make at one point in your life and now you're good. Solomon isn't saying, oh, you started down this path? Well, then don't worry about it anymore. You have to persevere. You have to continue to choose to stay on this path and not let go of this path and to guard her, guard wisdom, for she is your life. 
And so here we see Solomon laying out the goodness of the way of wisdom. It's a path that is a good path. A path in which you can walk without fear. There's safety and security in this path. And in verse 14, he begins to warn about the way of wickedness. And he starts with six commands. Six different commands to not go down this path. And really, as we look at the the commands he gives, these are very good commands for us as we think about things like sin and temptation. What should I do when I'm facing temptation? And the answer is, these six commands are really good. There's two in verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. What's the best way to avoid the way of evil? And the answer is, don't start on it. Don't even begin to go down it. Don't take the first step. Do not enter this path. What if you find yourself on it? Well, do not proceed in the way of evil men. Don't keep going. If you find you're going in the wrong direction, stop. If if you're digging a hole, what do you stop doing? You stop digging. If you're walking down the path of wickedness, what do you stop doing? Walking down that path. Don't proceed on it. Don't take another step. Instead, turn away. We find in verses 15, four commands in rapid succession, one after the other. Avoid it. If you get near it, don't, if you see it and you encounter it, don't come over, take a closer look. Avoid it. Have nothing to do with it. Do not pass by it. If you know that's the entrance, don't keep walking past it and looking down. If you know this is a place in which there is temptation, if you know this is a place in which I'm likely to sin, don't go that way. Don't pass by it. Instead, turn away from it. And here there is an emphasis on an active engagement, an intentional change of your path. Saying, you know what, all of a sudden it was like I was right there walking down this path, and now I'm going to turn away from it. And instead, I am going to pass by it. Don't look back, but instead, I think here the emphasis is basically, keep focused on the other path. Pass by that path because you're focused on the right path, the way of wisdom. So pass by the way of wickedness. Pass on. Keep walking and don't look back. Why? When verses 16 and 17, the father here describes what the wicked are like. And one commentator basically says he describes them as evil holics. Because it's as if they are addicted to evil. They, they cannot survive without it. Because how does he describe it? Verse 16, they cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. So they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. They cannot sleep unless they do evil. And we understand that kind of imagery. We talk about, you know, how do you put your head on your pillow at night? 
and go to sleep. Well, if you know you did a good day's work or, or those, that kind of an idea. You, you, you're, you're happy with yourself. You're at peace. And so then you can go to sleep. And for the wicked, they can't really go to sleep unless they've done evil. Unless they have harmed others. And they're robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. At a minimum, that idea of make someone stumble does mean cause them harm, probably for, for my advantage. But, but it might even almost have the idea of bring them into my evil. Enlist them. In part because we already saw that kind of language up in verse 12. If you're on the way of wisdom, if you run, you will not stumble. But what are the wicked trying to make you do? Trying to cause you to stumble. They're trying to cause you to, to, to not walk along the path well. And they eat the bread of wickedness. It gives them sustenance. Their whole life is built on these things. This is certainly the contrast of Jesus in John 4, when his disciples come to him when he's in Samaria and say, here, eat. And he said, I've already eaten. And they say, well, did you get bread somewhere? And what does he say? No. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. That what was it that sustained and drove Jesus, the Father's will? What is it that sustains and drives the wicked? And the answer is doing evil, wickedness, violence. They eat this. They drink this. This is what allows them to sleep. So one commentator said, the Bible does not hide the fact that just as we can talk about someone being zealous for good, there are people who are zealous for evil. And they are driven by these things. Now, as the father is describing this, I don't think he's talking about, frankly, this way, the people who just started down this path. Probably the people who, who are being described here didn't necessarily begin by saying, you know what? I want my life to be consumed with evil and violence. It probably started off with something on the lines of, well, I'd kind of like a little bit more adventure in life or this seems a bit more fun, or I think this would bring me pleasure. But what happens with sin? It grabs hold of us and takes us to places we never really thought we'd go. Alexander Pope once said this, vice is a monster of so frightful mean, and mean there is the idea of appearance. So frightful mean is to be hated, needs but to be seen. That if we think about sin and evil, we look at it and we think, I don't want anything to do with that. But seen too oft, too familiar that face, must first endure, then pity, then embrace. And the idea is, you think right now, evil is detestable to me. But the more you play with it, the more you indulge it, the more you engage it, the less detestable it seems. And before you know it, you're eating the bread of wickedness. You're drinking the wine of violence. It's as if you cannot sleep unless you know you have an opportunity to do something that is evil because you are now addicted to it. In verses 18 and 19, Solomon steps back again 
and says, here's your two options. You have the way of wisdom. And you have the way of wickedness. What is the way of wisdom like? Well, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. What does it mean the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn? I think light here would probably point to at least two different things. And these are commonly what light points to in Scripture. One is goodness. That, that God is light. And the path of righteousness is the path on which God is there. And so this is the, the light that you experience. You get to enjoy walking with God. And yet light is also described as, as guidance, as, as helping you to see what is there. And certainly in this context, the idea of a path with light is a path that says, I know where I'm supposed to go. I can see it laid out before me. I'm not traveling at night, inching along, wondering what's ahead because it's dark. I'm not groping, trying to find out what's there. It, it's like the light of dawn. And, and the language that's used, and partially the light of dawn, is that it can progressively gets lighter and lighter. It's not the waning, fading light of the evening. It's the ever-growing light of the morning. Look what it says. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day which I think probably would indicate this. That as you continue to walk down the way of wisdom, you get more and more wisdom. And you have closer and closer fellowship with the Lord. The light is getting brighter and brighter as you keep walking down this path. So that you can see more clearly what is good and right. And you get to know the Lord more intimately. The more I walk with God, the better I will come to know him. This is the path of the righteous. This is the way of wisdom. And then the final contrast again, what about the way of the wicked? Well, it's the exact opposite. It's like darkness. And if, as I think the imagery of light indicates, the imagery of darkness is the opposite of those things. So first of all, the way of wickedness is a way apart from God. A way without experiencing his fellowship. Without enjoying his presence. But it's also a way in which you are not able to really see what is happening. They do not know over what they stumble. They miss the connection between the choices they're making and the consequences they're facing. And I think as well, it, it probably comes on them in a way in which they weren't necessarily expecting. Because in the darkness, they didn't see what it was that brought about their downfall. And there certainly is, as we see often in Proverbs, a kind of poetic justice. Because what robs the wicked of their sleep? Verse 16, they are robbed of sleep unless they can make someone stumble. What's going to happen to them? They're going to stumble. They're going to fall. Their end is darkness and 
destruction. And the way of wisdom helps us to see the connection between the choices we make and the life we live and the the consequences that we experience. And so the wicked are in darkness. As as one commentator I saw put it, you think about in, in our culture today, people see no connection between sexually immoral lifestyles and the consequences of that. I don't want to, to delve into all these ins and outs, but if you followed the idea of monkeypox at all in recent months, it was fascinating how little anyone ever wanted to talk about the fact that the population that was largely getting monkeypox were those who were engaged in same-sex relations. But you couldn't say in any way there was a connection between them. Because you should be free to do whatever you want without having to worry about consequences. Or, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but the idea of people who are in massive amounts of debt. And you say, man, wouldn't it be nice if someone helped them out? The answer is, well, yes, it probably would, but it also would have been helpful if they hadn't made the choices to get there. And certainly it might be helpful to help others not to make those same kinds of choices. That often we are in the situation we're in because of the decisions that we have made. And Solomon here lays out that reality. There are two paths. So if I could close by encouraging us to, to both help ourselves and to help our children to understand, really, there are only two choices. You're either on the way of wisdom or you are on the way of wickedness. There isn't a third way. There's not another path out there that says, well, maybe I don't have to do everything that God says, but I don't have to go down this path that leads dark to destruction. I mean, certainly there's probably another path in between these two in which, you know, I'm not quite as tied up with what God has said and following his, but, but it's still a good life. And the answer is there isn't that path. There's only two. You can walk the way of wisdom or you can walk the way of wickedness. And this is going to be a path that leads to light, ever-increasing light, in which you can walk and not be impeded and you can run and not stumble. And this is a path that's going to lead to ever-increasing addiction to evil and darkness and destruction. Related to that, is to help our children to remind ourselves that, yes, this path really is a better path. And as you work through the book of Proverbs, we could probably look at several different examples. But if I could just kind of close this evening by by pointing to one way in which the way of wisdom is better for us in life. And it is better for us as we think about finances. If we know how to use money the way that Proverbs would tell us how to use money, that God tells us how to use money, we are going to be in a much better position in life. Life will go much more smoothly. If you look at studies about the the causes of conflict in marriages, basically the, the highest cause of conflict is finances. And so if you understand how to use finances in God's way, your marriage will be better your life will be better. Or think just more broadly. 
there's a, a, a sequence that has been dubbed the success, success sequence that says if, if you want to get out of poverty or to avoid poverty, if you do three things, your chances of avoiding poverty are basically 100%. And it's if you graduate high school, start working, and get married before you have children. And there was a study I saw recently looking at, at people who were born 80 to 84 and then looking at what happened in light of that. And in that study, 97% of those people who did that got a high school degree, were working, and married before having children, were out of poverty by the time they were 28 to 34, even if they started in poverty. And that's the kind of thing that Proverbs says we should be doing. But even just one aspect of that, it's fascinating to me. If you just look at that final one, do you get married before you have children? When they look just at that, 86% of young adults who got married before they had children were in either the middle or top income bracket, as opposed to only 53% of those who had children before they got married. And that's just the kind of thing that God tells us about how to live in this world. That he tells us there is a path that's a better path. There's a path that is a good path. And if you walk down this path, it will be better for you in this world. But certainly more significantly than that, is that not only will you have a good life in this life, you'll have an abundant life with God if you choose to follow him that there will be ever-increasing light. That, that even if that weren't the case, even if you faced poverty, it would still be better. But the reality is, you don't necessarily have to choose between those things most of the time. That it really is better for you to know and serve the Lord than it is to reject his ways, because this is his world. So you really have two choices tonight. Are you going to take the path of wickedness? Are you going to walk down this way in which you pursue your own desires and you don't care about others and you end up in darkness and destruction? Or are you going to walk the way of wisdom and find ever-increasing light? When we weigh these choices, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? We've got to choose the way of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does provide insight to us. It helps us to understand what you want. It helps us to know how this world is, is meant to work. And it lays out a good path for us. Lord, help us to, to see your wisdom. Help us, as we saw a few weeks back, not to trust in our own understanding, to acknowledge you in all of our ways. Lord, help us with those that we have an opportunity to influence, that, that we would urge them down the way of wisdom. 
pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.